Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Rank Up, a fortnightly on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news, and for this episode at least, off-page SEO as well, and all will become clear shortly. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ben Gary, and I'm joined once again by my regular co-host, Ed. Uh, Are you doing okay, Ed? Yeah, good, thanks. <clears throat> Although it's a dark and gloomy morning, um, what better way to lift my mood by doing this podcast? <laughs> exactly. A dark and gloomy morning in tier two lockdown and nothing <laughs> for you. <laughs> Everything's, you know, just going swimmingly at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Ed, I'm not happy with you because you posted a Bake Off spoiler on the, on the chat this morning. So it yeah, wasn't, I don't think it was a direct spoiler. But it was, you could have mm. guessed something happened from, yeah, but I do yeah. apologize. So Ed is not in my good books today. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we are also joined by someone who is still in my good books, uh, Impressions Head of Digital PR, Laura Hampton. Welcome to the podcast. And how are you? Hi, Ben. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm not a fan of Bake Off. So your, uh, your spoilers this morning, Ed, didn't bother me at all. <laughs> That's good to know. That didn't ruin your morning. <laughs> at least there's still a good relationship between some of the people on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Laura, thank you for coming on this month. Uh, it's great to have you and we're going to be discussing our top stories with you uh, today. Um, but could you just give the audience a quick intro to who you are and what you do before we get into all that? Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, firstly, thank you for having me. I've been listening to Rank Up um, while I've been doing my runs. So I, I really enjoy listening to you guys chatting through everything to do with SEO. Um, you've had some great guests, so it's a real honour to be part of it. Thank you for having me. Um, in terms of, of who I am and what I do, so as Ben mentioned, I am the head of digital PR at Impression. And what that means is that I lead a team of exceptionally talented and creative people whose job it is to earn links for our clients' websites. So the team that we've got here comprises ex-journalists, ex-traditional PRs. Um, myself, I actually come from an SEO background, so bringing more of the technical kind of side of it. And what we do is, is create news. We create compelling content that journalists want to share, that people want to read, and that ultimately will help to boost our, our clients' search rankings as well. Excellent. And it's we're not going to go too much just to in, in, into impression services now, because um, we've obviously got some stories to discuss. But it's fair to say that the digital PR team uh, works very closely with the SEO team, which is you know one of the reasons why you're on this podcast now talking about SEO. Definitely. And also, um, I've worked in SEO for, I think, about eight years of my career was was dedicated to SEO. So I'm still yeah. a, a total SEO nerd, and I'm excited to talk about it more with you guys today. Awesome. And uh, if you haven't guessed, this is why uh, this, this episode may have slightly more of an off-page uh, flavour to it than we normally do. Um, <laughs> but with Laura on, it makes sense. And, you know, SEO obviously is uh, just as much about the off-page as the on-page, even though we tend to do the on-page focus here. Uh, I think it's quite a good opportunity for us to have a more holistic view of it as well. Um, and we've got some slightly different articles than we might have otherwise had um, to make the most of Laura's expertise and just to have a slightly different conversation today. So we will jump now into the top stories. Um, and as always, if you've listened to these episodes before, uh, we've got three stories slash articles or opinion pieces uh, to discuss that have come out in the last month or two. Uh, and actually today we've got uh, a couple of fairly new things to talk about, uh, including clarifications from uh, Google on link building uh, and a couple of new features uh, that Google have introduced in various forms as well. Uh, and we'll start with one of those. So Ed, I believe this is your article, uh, if you want to yeah. introduce us to your topic for the podcast. Yeah, so um, essentially what this is, is that Google have, uh, will begin passage-based indexing. So um, they announced this on October 15th, so I believe it was a Thursday, um, just in relation to anyone listening a bit later. Uh, and essentially what, they've, what they're looking to start doing is focus on indexing specific pieces of content rather than looking to index, I guess, the whole page or taking it into consideration. So um, what they're saying regarding passage-based indexing is that some uh, specific searches can be quite difficult to get right. And you may be searching um, a question in Google. And from my experience, at least, you, you sometimes 
end up on a big web page and you do command F or control F to try that and find that specific, um, you know, related question. However, they're, what they're going to be doing is by kind of understanding the relevancy of that specific passage um, and not just focus on the overall page, they're going to try and find that. And they say it as like a, they're going to find that needle in the haystack information that you're looking for. Um, so it's a, it's a ranking change, not an indexing change. And they're saying that it's going to be um, going to impact seven uh, percent of search queries across all languages, all languages when fully rolled out globally. Um, so, in the example that they used, they used a search how uh, search uh, query um, into Google. How can I determine if my house windows are UV glass? So, very specific. So, they used an example of what would rank before, where it's kind of a, a UV radiation through windows experiment. However, in the um, the algorithm, what they're looking to uh, well uh, introduce is kind of highlighting that specific key information um, on an actual forum page, and it highlights the actual answer to that that specific question. Um, so, in my opinion, it's going to be focused mostly on informational terms. So, when people are asking questions and within Google, and then looking to focus on specific pieces of content to bring to the search, I guess. Um, I think it kind of raises two questions, and I think you um, we've brought in a tweet that's come to light most recently on on this specific um, update. I guess is first one we always have this conversation. I think of are specific uh, question related articles better, or are more dedicated articles better on a, a specific subject? So, in my opinion, what you'll look to do is actually see these in depth guides. Probably, um, if you know this was rolled out to a a certain impact is these specific guides that go more in depth on a range of, uh, you know, specific topics that are all related, but go into into certain depths around specific areas. They'll probably find it a lot better to rank because they know that they can have a specific topic situated down the guide, which gets brought to light in, from a ranking perspective, rather than trying to focus on that content higher up the page. Um, but then also, secondly, I know this, it's been a topic for discussion on this podcast before, is that is this going to increase um, the no-click SERP? So um, I know within Pete's um, early podcast episode with us, he, he raised uh, a few questions around no-click SERPs. And then uh, most recently, Rand Fishkin on Twitter has kind of uh, um, criticized this approach that's saying, actually, it's just Google looking to make keep users on the page. Um, so I think there's, there's those two... Two individual areas. I think the first one that I raised there regarding kind of more in-depth guides, I think that's more of an exciting one because it, it makes sense for someone that's put in an in investment in making the content the best it can be and cover a range of topics for for their information to get brought to the light easier rather than, you know, a, a more thinner page, which specifically maybe only touches on that uh, that question, but only briefly, rather than more of a dedicated content piece. Um, but I think, in terms of the the no click um, discussion as well, I think it's a very valid point. But again, it, it would be dependent on um, you know if actually people do tend to actually go click through on that specific question, uh, that question, or anything like that on, on that web page. Um, but again, it would be worth experimenting when it, I guess it does roll out and it does impact your website too. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. So, Laura, what, when you saw this, um, and I know I shared the Ren Fishkin tweet with you before as well, so I don't know if that uh, has maybe affected your perception of this as well, but do you see this as, as a good thing that we should be happy about as content creators, or is this something that, you know, we've just got to go with and we don't really have a choice? It's just uh, another nail in, in the coffin of other websites <laughs> getting traffic from Google. For me, I've always taken quite a simplistic approach to SEO, um, which may be why, why I don't do it anymore, who knows. But my, <laughs> my approach has always been that, that Google is trying to emulate the human experience as much as possible. And it's trying to provide users with information in a way that is most usable and useful to them, um, that it can. And, and the way that it's doing that is, as I say, by trying to kind of emulate what we as human beings would do when we're looking at content. I think this, for me, it feels like another example of Google's progression in that area. It understands now that we don't have to have kind of um, specific pages. You know, it used an example um, within the announcement about the update of um, if you wanted to have information about how BERT works, 
um, within SEO, then you don't necessarily need an entire page about how BERT works. You can just yeah. have a passage about it within a page about SEO. And I think um, what Google has managed to achieve through this update is just further progress in being able to understand the web like a human being does. Yeah. For me, that's got to be a positive. I do appreciate the flip side to it as well. Obviously, um, no-click searches have the potential to be detrimental to brands. I think yeah. there's still something to be said for the awareness of the brand being increased by the fact that it, it does appear in the search results and it does provide something valuable. And I don't know, it's a difficult one. But for me, I think the, yeah. the overriding sense that I took from this is that it's a positive movement in the right direction. Yeah, I guess you can view it from two parts. And I think that's what you've done there, Laura, is that you can, if you view it from a user perspective, it works really well. Because if you are searching questions within Google or any of a search engine, I've done it myself where it can be so frustrating going onto a web page and then trying to actually find that specific piece of information and then actually finding out it may not even related towards the query that you searched. So I think from a user perspective, as you highlighted, Laura, it, it works well. Um, and uh, I think, even, but when you view it as a marketer, I, I think you can be skeptical, but I think even me and Ben have discussed most recently that it would be worth experimenting to see, actually, you may think that it may be a no-click cert, but it does actually attract a user. It may even heighten the actual click-through rate in order for a user yeah. to click there, because it bolds out the question. The, the actual snippet that they provide feels a lot more enticing, so it actually could increase click-through rate as well. Yeah. I, I'm kind of along those lines I have I have mixed feelings on this I think my my main reservation is not really from a marketer's perspective mm. it's more just generally ethically you know is it right for Google just to kind of present content on their own insert yeah. and that's essentially what Rand's argument is but putting that aside and assuming that that's just kind of the way that Google is going uh, as they have been um uh, I don't think this is necessarily a negative for for brands because my perspective with a lot of SERP features um, has always been they're only a problem if they take away traffic that was really actually going to kind of have a meaningful interaction with your website. Mm -hmm. um, so for for a lot of things like people also ask box and even some feature snippets where they just answer a very short question there in the search. Yes, you don't get the click. But if someone was only ever looking for a small snippet of information, they're probably never going. They're not going to care what the source is. They're not. They're not looking to go and become a customer yeah. of that source, and they were never going to spend very long on your website anyway. They'd probably go on, find their answer, and bounce back off, um, yeah. which can have other problems for for your engagement further down the line. Mm -hmm. This this update, I think, pushes it a bit because I think they're giving deeper information in the SERPs and they're giving the kind of information where your brand would benefit from being a trustworthy provider and, and you know, potentially could, um, it, you know, cement, cement a place in the user's mind as mm -hmm. a brand they want to return to. Um, it really depends how it plays out in practice because mm -hmm. um, if in practice it's still just answering quick questions and users still need to click through if they want to research the topic more, then that's great, and I don't think that's a net loss. But if Google does start to become a one-stop in like information shop that yeah. you can get everything from in one go, then I think it could be detrimental. We may have to reassess what are we trying to achieve with our informational content, and what can we realistically get out of it? Because it could get to the point further down the line where it's just diminishing returns, and it's actually not a great investment for SEO potentially. <laughs> I think you said yeah. something really interesting there, Ben, about cementing the brand in the mind of the user um, mm. as being one that they would return to and increasing kind of the trust in that brand. And I think that's something that is, that would be lovely if that were the case. The reality, mm. though, I think is that very few of us are even going to take notice of which website the information is coming from, let alone yeah. take a note of it in our minds to be able to return to it. What I yeah. would be really interested to understand from Google is how they will how they will assess the engagement levels with the content that appears solely on the SERPs without um, any clicks, because presumably they're going to be looking at improving ongoing, improving the, the content that they are surfacing and making sure that they're giving people the right thing. But if people aren't clicking on it, how does Google quantify which has been the best? Yeah. the best answer and if it does have a way to do that for example if it could see that I have maybe 
my dwell time on that particular SERP has been longer than it than it has been when other sites have been at the top or, or something like that, then maybe there is a way that it can then feed that information into the personalization of search results, mm-hmm. such that for a brand that does invest in kind of top of funnel content and more informational queries, they are more likely to then appear when the consumer moves down the funnel and is making yeah. those more transactional queries. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That's another really good point, actually. Um, it's something I know, I think I may have even done a blog on on the Impressions site a couple of years ago, but the topic we've been interested in before is is seeing how does user engagement change the results for that user. Yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right that that's one of the benefits of clicking on, for the, for the brand of kick, clicking on a blog, even if you're not going to go and convert now, it's that maybe when they search for a product in that industry further down the line, the brand ranks higher than it would have done otherwise. And... Yeah, I think that's an open question for this. Will will it have any brand benefit or not? Um, yeah. Because we know currently that click-through rate and engagement makes a difference. So will, does this, if a user doesn't click on that result, does it reflect negatively on the brand because they, they've appeared without getting a click? Uh, or is Google going to be clever enough to see it in a different way? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we know the answer to that yet. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a good point. And also, I think on the actual layout of the SERP, like they've only given a before and after. And it, mm. and it, it basically, is, from what I can see, it looks to extend um, the, the actual uh, list of that page. So it could be that, you know, it highlights it against other searches, which makes it, like, like I said, more enticing to click, click through on. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I imagine like it will be interesting to see how they format all certain the, the questions within that box as well, because um, it may be that it does entice the, the user to click through yeah. onto that page. I mean, practically speaking for me, um, I've already sent this update to a couple of clients who I know are working on informational content, and I've said I think we should give this a go and we should look at where we can be doing longer form guides that cover some more niche questions. Um, yeah. And I'm keen to see if we do get anything else from it because I think we've got to try it and I don't want to dismiss it out of hand straight away. Yeah, I I mean, sorry. Go on. (laughs) I was just going to say from a content person uh, it's focused on content strategy, Ben, is does this kind of really sway you to these more in-depth guides that I think that, you know, it's always been a question over the past few years from SEOs and specifically people focused on more content is understanding um, when to consolidate content, when to branch out to new pages. I mean, we always tend to do it based on, you know, if there's a large search, a lot of searches happening for those um, terms and there's a lot of related subjects, it's worth having it within its own yeah. own specific page. But I think this probably highlights the the requirement that actually you, you can have everything within one page, um, mm. well, from an SEO perspective. And, but I, I kind of really enjoy these more in-depth guides that, you know, um, are, yeah. go quite in-depth on a specific topic. I do still think if there's good search volume behind a query, I would lean mm. towards... Um, putting it in its own page if there's enough content to do so. Just because from Google's language around this, it's still going to be a relatively small percentage of search results. And it really sounds like they're aiming for the kind of the most niche ones that just don't have good results in their own pages. So my hunch would be that if you've built a specific page, it's still going to outrank passages. Yeah. Uh, I might be wrong. Uh, and if that chain, if that isn't true, then I think I would be more willing to look at longer content um, but if that is the case, then I, I don't think it'll change a huge amount in that respect. Yeah. So I think it's more just when we make the longer guides, making sure we're paying attention to the subtopics and the headings and all the things we could include in them. Um, but they, they, but not necessarily making any more of them than we would have done otherwise. Yeah. Does that make sense? Have you got yeah. any final thoughts on this, Laura, before we move on to the next one? I guess my only other thought was around kind of how you measure success and how you kind of define what good looks like. And I think as Mm. digital marketers, very rightly so, we always seek measurable returns on our investments. And I think Mm. with no-click searches and with this passage indexation, it's going to be more difficult to directly attribute the, the work that you put into creating that content that appears in those places to kind of sales or even traffic to the site. But I think that those brands that will hopefully win out in the long run are the ones that recognize that there is is a benefit, even if it is intangible, to putting Mm. useful and valuable content in front of the user. 
hopefully there will become a way that we can directly attribute that content to traffic and sales in the future but for the time being even just recognizing that it was your content that was most visible even if it didn't generate clicks that's a contributor to building the marketing funnel and hopefully something that businesses who've got that level of budget to be able to invest can recognize as a benefit to their brands yeah I, I, final, final, final point from me on this. I know I said I was finished, but you just made me think of something else. I would love to see in Search Console, I don't know if it would ever happen, but similar to how you have the Google Discover report alongside the search report, or, or maybe as part of the search report, I would like to see just something on SERP features like this. Yeah. Um, mm. I don't know if Google would ever give you that much information, um, but it would be great if in the future we could see engagement with featured snippets, passages, answer bo or, yeah. uh, people also ask, whatever it is. That would that would give us the information, I think, that you're talking about there, Laura, but whether it'll ever happen, don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, cool. We'll, we'll move on to the next one because um, uh, we, we – I know Ed's got to get off in good time today, so we want to make sure we cover everything in, in good depth. And this is another really interesting one from Google, which uh, I don't know if there were rumblings about this before, but I know for me it came out of the blue when I think it was Laura posted it uh, on our internal chat yesterday. Um, and it's uh, Google's new um, research, or one of the research tools within Google's new journalist studio, which as far as I can tell is a bigger thing but there's one particular research tool that i've looked at already uh, and i think potentially has applications for uh seo and and possibly digital pr as well uh which is pinpoint um and uh, if you search google pinpoint as i've tried to do to find a home page for this that i can link in the description uh, nothing that useful comes up at the moment um, but i do have a link that i can put in the show notes um to some overview information if people want to find out more um, and what Pinpoint seems to be is a way of collecting resources, um, mostly documents, but they can be documents from different sources, um, to then allow you to analyze those documents en masse and pick out bits of information from them um, with the sort of stated goal of producing articles using those documents as sources. Uh, and it's a free tool uh, that currently you just have to submit your email address. It has to be a Gmail address, I think. Uh, and then Google will, um, it's, they say within a day, uh, tell you whether or not you have access. But I did it uh, the day before recording this podcast and got access within two hours to my personal Gmail. Um, so I've had a little look around. Um, and I'll talk through the features that Google kind of highlights um, and then just share some of my thoughts. And then it'd be interesting to see, Laura and Ed, whether you think this has an application to what we do. Um, mm. But they say that Pinpoint helps you with everything from investigative stories, breaking news, editorial reviews, fact checking, audio transcriptions, searching archives and more, uh, which all sounds great. Um, and it lets you work through large numbers of documents, essentially collecting them like you would in Google Drive or really any file storage system. And you can have up to about 200,000 files per collection. So there's not a huge amount of limits on this. Um, it's all private. You can share it with whoever you want, just like other Google features. But then the interesting bits is um, they allow you to search multiple documents at once. Um, so they use the example of a collection on uh, the Apollo missions and searching for moon and moon appearing in multiple documents. Um, and then also searching for those results within documents, which doesn't appear to be any cleverer than just a normal control F. Um, <laughs> but it does it. <laughs> Um, then the more interesting stuff is exploring common entities. Um, so I, I don't know how much we've talked about entities on this podcast, but I know it's something that has had a fair amount of buzz in the last couple of years in SEO. Um, but it lets you search for entities that you're aware of, so concepts, name things within your documents. Um, and apparently it will also surface entities that you might not have been aware of. So I haven't looked into this yet because I haven't imported enough documents to make it worth it but I don't know if it's going to kind of surface um, other entities, which could be interesting potentially to SEO and, and digital PR in understanding topics if you have a big enough body of documents to make it worth it. Also has text recognition in images. It can transcribe handwritten documents into text. And the one that I have played with is transcribing audio files, which, you know, as a podcaster is, in, is interesting because... Um, there hasn't, when we first started making this podcast, we looked to see if there was a good transcription tool. Um, and other than Google Docs, uh, text to a uh, speech to text, which has 
its own sort of issues for recording from multiple people. We, we didn't really see anything. But this lets you, for free, take an audio file and transcribe it after the fact. So, you know, for turning video and audio content that your clients produce or that your company is producing into a blog post, um, this, this could be a really good way to do that. And from what I've seen so far, the accuracy has been fairly decent. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also a load of publicly available collections, which probably for SEO aren't as helpful, but there may be something there for digital PR if you're looking for information on stories, because um, I think these can be uploaded by various different sources like the Washington Post and other things. And uh, it's quite a good body of knowledge on a particular topic from what I can see. Mm -hmm. So that was a very, very quick run through. Um, I encourage you to go and have a look in more detail uh, because I've just said a lot of details there in one go. Um, my initial thought is this could be useful for topical research, maybe, if we can get a large enough body of documents together. And at that point, I'm thinking, is that even more efficient than just searching for the information in Google? Um, the audio transcription stuff is very cool. I would like to see that just kind of broken out in its own tool because I think that definitely has applications for, for content production in general. But otherwise, I'm kind of on the fence and want to have a bit more of a go with it. Um, mm -hmm. Laura, we'll start with you because mm -hmm. I know you identified this originally and you know, it's, you're a bit closer to journalism in what you do. Um, so could you see this being useful to marketers? I think it, it definitely has potential. Um, so it was actually James Watkins in my team who spotted this originally as um, a tool that has been pitched as something that will really help journalists out. And I think there are kind of two sides to the way that we can use it from a digital PR perspective. Um, the first is that if Google has put together this suite of tools with a view to being helpful to journalists, um, if we assume that it is going to be helpful to them, then we can maybe take some insight into what we can therefore do to be helpful. So the fact that yep. Google is making it easier for journalists to pull out related entities, for example, means that maybe we as digital PRs can be useful to journalists by doing the same thing for them. So, okay. you know, um, hey, Sean at the Metro, I know that you're writing about the moon already, and I can see that this is a, a related topic to that. And um, kind of tying that in and, and referencing how the entities kind of relate to one another is one way that we can kind of get journalists' attention yeah. to be helpful to them. Um, the, the rest of the kind of suite of tools and how it helps journalists, I think, remains to be seen. I did ask one of my journalist friends um, who, who does actually work at the Metro, and she said it, it looks cool. She's going to look into it in more detail. Um, and I said to her, do you feel like Google is actually helping journalists? And she said... She thinks it's getting better. Um, she said it used to be pretty bad for research because it didn't give her the right information, but she's noticed that fact-checking and, and kind of the quality of the sites that are, are put at the top of the search results are a lot better now. So I think she uses Google much more now than she used to um, for support. So it'd be interesting to see how this pans out. Um, the second way that I think that we can use it is, is inputting our own data and using it for our own kind of campaign ideation there's a lot aside from the audio transcription that you've mentioned ben and, and a few other features there's things like um data visualizations which can be done really quickly uh, google is able to aggregate basically whatever data sources you want and pull them all into one visual which can be a really powerful way of, of creating a news story and it's something that we would in the past have had to do quite manually um, but now, because of its database search and the way it's integrated that into this new tool, it might be something that's more easily accessible to us. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's lots of potential within it. Um, I haven't really had enough time to explore it in full detail, but we definitely will be within the PR team. Yeah, and just to pick up on what you said there about Google becoming more useful for journalists, almost wonder if Google's its own worst enemy with this taking off. Because while there may be some cool features in there, like the data visualization stuff sounds really cool, the audio transcription mm -hmm. stuff is great, I'm looking at a lot of this and I'm thinking, between Google Drive and Google Search, I can do most of this already. Yeah. And you know, maybe I can't do it en masse, but how many projects do I really need to be analyzing a load of documents for anyway? And you know, maybe if you're a journalist, you have more. Obviously, I'm not the target audience. but. In terms of SEOs or digital PRs who might be interested in this, that would be my first question is like, is it actually saving you time? Or is it just yeah. like a snazzy new thing that says it's doing something different but actually isn't? 
Yeah, I think as well it comes down to the, the trust that exists between the media and Google. And uh, that's obviously a much bigger topic than we're going to cover right now. But um, the prevalence of, of issues like fake news and um, the queries that have been held around Google's handling of, of the news, especially in yeah. recent times, means that there is probably a lack of trust between those who work in the media profession and Google itself. And it might yeah. just be that this is almost paying lip service to that by producing something that suggests it's going to be helpful. Yeah. Um, and and how much substance there is behind that is still kind of yet to be seen. Um, I yeah. think it would be difficult to see a future where journalists solely rely on a platform provided by Google to power mm. all of their research um, because that just, it puts it all within Google's kind of ecosystem. And I think journalists yeah. would be keen to look at data sources outside of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess it remains to be seen really. Yeah, Ed, what are your thoughts on, on this? Yeah, I think it's very, something interesting that Laura raised there in terms of kind of the fake news and referring to, I guess, misleading data. Um, I think it could potentially that Google don't have too much faith in their ability to rank and specific pages that are correct initially. Um, they may mm. be, you know, they may be pushed back at a later date, you know, once they look to be more evaluated. And I think it, I mean, I'll try and relate it back to how Google have started handling medical sites. I think they're in a good position now where we can see that medical websites are presented with, it seems to be the correct information, it's backed by a doctor. And it could be that, you know, people are specifically looking, you know, people would be going to, you know, Google or any other search engine to find, you know, specific facts or data that they can refer to in their stories or their content. And it may be that, you know, Google think, actually, we can't, at that in that moment make sure that they are presented with the correct information straight away however yeah. with google pinpoint we can at least have verified documents or you know public uh, uh, you know, i think they list to uh sorry i'm just scrolling through it now the um where it refers to the the leading partners actually verified yeah the leading partners which actually has verified documentation that people can refer to so it could yeah. be a way of google in the short term looking to um have this issue with fake news and making sure that people are being presented with correct information when creating content, uh, both for, you know, marketers or journalists. And actually they can refer to this rather than going straight to a search engine where a page could be ranking that gives misleading information straight away. Um, yeah. So I think this, that could be this, this, and you know, I guess, um, thing that sits within the middle at the moment, whilst they try and have <laughs> update their algorithm to make sure that, but I, I don't think they'll, they'll ever get to that point. So maybe this is why that that's this is what this is what's uh, yeah have been has yeah. been introduced. Because because Google's got to be getting something out of this, right? That's why they're giving it yeah. away free. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. Looking into factors that make using this to understand what makes news trustworthy would yeah. it, you know it's a great PR thing for Google right now because <laughs> they have not done well yeah. for that in no. recent in, in recent years. Um, and I can only assume they're collecting data from this somehow um, to yeah. make search and their other core products better. Yeah, definitely. And I think also like um, they'll use this as a, a bit of a shield um, to say that, look, yeah, like you yeah. said, within any issues they've said, look, we've introduced this platform, it's fact-checked, it's it's everything that's making sure that and the information that we provide is free. Make sure that you refer to this um, rather than other websites. So it's getting people to refer to there yeah. yeah you are the product essentially <laughs> yeah exactly um awesome i think we'll, we'll leave that one there um for the sake of time although it's interesting to see how this develops uh, over the next few months uh and also what you know what what the wider perception of google is in in for journalists after this um, but still on the subject of um, some more off-page activity, uh, probably a little bit, bit more closely related to SEO now, uh, we've got Laura's article. Yeah, so the article that I wanted to talk around was um, actually an announcement from a video with John Muller where he was talking about the lifetime of a link. Um, so this was something that was posted up on Search Engine Journal and uh, John was asked the question, how long does it take for the effect of a link to be seen on a site's search rankings? Um, which I thought was really funny because it's a question that's been around 
probably since the very beginning of SEO. And I think it's one that has always been answered with the same um, two words, which are, it depends. Um, and, it, it, and it really does. And that's that's kind of why it made me chuckle. But also the fact that it did come up again made me kind of reflect on on how much we need to be critical of our link acquisition work as an industry and we need to really understand what what success looks like and what we can expect to get out of it so to summarize what John's answer was um as well as being it depends he also said that the the effect of a link can actually be seen immediately because Google's um ability to index sites and and to crawl them is is so much better now than it's ever been before so In theory, you could land a link um, that is of a very high quality and that is very relevant to your to your client or to your own website, and see an immediate uplift in, in your search rankings as a result. Yeah. Um, in theory, that's what could happen, assuming yeah. that all else was equal. In yeah. reality, we see that the the effect of links is actually something that is is very small and that aggregates over time to see us really move the needle in conjunction with with on page content and technical work. Um, yep. So yeah, I thought that was that was quite an interesting discussion that came up, even though it is quite an old one. And it also related to a couple of other articles. So even though you asked me to just choose one, I actually chose three we'll um, because <laughs> because I'm the guest, so I'll do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so John had spoken about that, and there was another article by Paddy Mugan um, on Moz, which talked about campaign link building, and one by some guy called George Driscoll. I think he used to work for an agency called Impression. I don't yeah, know if you guys yeah. remember him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, George used to work with us, and, and he did a, an excellent article for Moz as well, talking about mitigating risk and link building um, through diversification. And what the theme of those two articles actually was is that though a lot of what we see celebrated through awards and um, kind of at conferences and things like that when it comes to digital PR are these big kind of hard-hitting campaigns, these kind of... Yeah big pieces that generate hundreds of links, what's actually um, much much better in terms of moving the needle and the results that we need to see is to have a consistent flow of links coming into a site. And that's what Paddy sure. was talking about in terms of kind of underpinning your campaign work with kind of smaller campaigns and, and kind of thought leadership stuff. And similarly with George, he was talking about how even a big campaign should have lots of different angles to it so that you can continue to explore it in the long term. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we we very much advocate at Impression within the team and something that comes from just an understanding that from Google's perspective, if links are supposed to be a proxy for votes, it's far better to see that people are happy to continue to vote for you time and again throughout the year rather than just getting one influx of votes for for an odd mm-hmm. campaign every few months. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was what I wanted to share, and that's what I thought was quite interesting this month. So how how do you find it when when clients are asking you for targets and asking you to judge the impact of your work? And you've got things like yeah, this John Mueller answer, which kind of mm. says links might have an instant impact, but also it might be built up over time. And, you know, it depends. <laughs> How do you judge the timescale that, that you would expect to see a difference in? Like, what, what kind of factors are you considering if clients are asking you for that kind of information or if, you're, if you have to do it as part of a proposal or a pitch or something? Yeah, of course. So um, we very much view any form of link acquisition work, as I know you guys do with on-page stuff as well, as a long-term investment. And there are insights that we pull out kind of every step of the way that help to inform our strategy. But what we always do is kind of reflect on how the strategy that we've implemented has affected the goals that we're trying to achieve. Mm. Um, So I think that's, for us, that's the key thing is that we recognize that you know, there are going to be um, some campaigns that are really big hitters that generate hundreds of, of great links. There are going to be others where maybe we're doing some, th- something much smaller and much more focused where getting, you know, a high domain rating from a really relevant site is is the ultimate goal. And we'd rather have fewer of those than, than more poor quality. What yeah. we try and do, though, is structure a long-term roadmap that that pulls in different types of, of links and a, as natural a link profile as possible and yeah. that, that profile is being grown over time. And then you can kind of reflect on how that's impacted things like rankings and traffic and ultimately sales over the long term. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is, yeah, this is really interesting. And it's it's interesting to hear that it's kind of a peek under the lid 
because I think when you look at big glamorous digital PR campaigns, mm -hmm. there's this perception that that's the only way to succeed and the only way really that sort of link building is going to make a measurable impact because it's what it's what people are always shouting about that's the glitzy thing that you see on twitter when people are saying oh we did this campaign and we got 50 links for it or whatever yeah um but actually what you're talking about is it, well, it's a more sustainable approach because because i mean we know that there's there's risk in these campaigns and uh to have any kind of impact on seo over time you've got to keep you need something more sustainable and more steady because your competitors are going to be gaining links as well. So if you just do one great campaign, get 50 links, and then you're like, right, done it for, yeah, for exactly. a year, you're very quickly going to fall behind again. And, you know, it's just you can't rely on those to power you for two, three, four, however many years. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's that consistent kind of velocity of links coming in that we have seen time and again is what moves the needle for clients and you might yeah. see kind of a short-term boost um through kind of mass link acquisition but it's kind of the same as you know if we were at work and um kind of once a year i did some good work and you all celebrated it that's yeah. that's quite a different thing to knowing that you know every day you're doing great work and you're you're helping people and supporting people and i think it's the same from a link point of view you don't want to have a mm. brand that's only celebrated once in a blue moon because they've done one random thing you want to see that that brand is always being talked about and it's yeah. always useful to people every day and that's what links are supposed to be part of yeah, yeah. absolutely that's true i was Have just going to mention with the yeah i was going to say with the seasonality yeah. thing as well i think something that's been quite well documented is how much um seasonality um seasonality impacts searches so for example i think it was when people were searching um flowers flower delivery or something like that um, especially around like um, Valentine's Day or Mother's Day or something like that, how much the SERP changes as well. So I imagine that would dictate as well with kind of the link building side of things is making sure that you're also active uh, when your, you know, seasonal stuff is starting to come in and that, that you have campaigns to reflect this as well. So that, for yeah. example, you, you, if, for example, you're a, um, you're a, uh, you're a brand that um, focuses on maybe like home and garden or anything like that. And then leading up to the, the, the spring summertime you're the only brand that's not really invested in acquiring links through these um more topic uh, topics around yeah. um gardening and things like that it's going to highlight to google that you know these brands that are actually talking about it and getting coverage from are probably more worthwhile of uh, you know ranking and being in those top positions yeah. definitely and that that yeah. relevance that you're talking yeah. about ed i think is is absolutely key and um, as, as digital PR has grown as a discipline and we've started to lean more on the techniques that have been typically associated with more traditional PR, the more we've seen the celebration of coverage achieved in kind of national newspapers and tabloids and of course the nature of those publications is firstly that news comes and goes so quickly so there's so many pages um, and Google's propensity to index your news story that appeared three months ago when four million others have since usurped it is going to be so much less than if you're able to land coverage on a site that is maybe producing less frequent content but is, is much more relevant to your audience and is much more likely to have that longer term impact for you. Um, and I think for us what's really key is that Yes, we want to get the national coverage. That's always great to see, and it can it can result in more kind of niche publications picking your story up. But also mm. recognizing that it's often better for a brand to get a few really good quality niche specific links than it is to kind of be going for those kind of features in the sun and, and the mail and things like that. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what we we really try and focus on, and that's what I genu genuinely believe is going to be the future for link building. The other thing as well is that as digital PR as a discipline has grown, I I don't want us as an industry to forget the way that we used to build links. So PR is a method of building links. It's not the only method of building links. So while you've got exciting campaigns going on you're, and you're kind of leaning on these exceptionally creative people to, to create newsworthy stories and, and get you coverage that way, there are still plenty of techniques that we used to use, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago that are still completely valid and relevant. You know, mm -hmm. picking up um, citations and directory listings and nap consistency and all that kind of stuff feels really old school now, but it, it's still relevant. Sorting out mm. broken backlinks, looking at 
kind of resources. You know, I was I was pitching to a brand this morning and they've got a blog full of fantastic content. Um, and yeah. you can easily be outreaching that to places and saying, you know, this is informative and we'll add to your content. Why don't you link to it? And I think as an industry, we need to remember that there are plenty of other ways to build links and that it's about that consistent, ongoing, delivering good quality links every single day that's going to move the needle most. Yeah. Absolutely. Ed, I know you you need to jump off um, uh, now for another meeting. So feel free to um, jump off and let Laura and I can, can finish up. Um, okay. But Laura, thank you, uh, thank you for bringing that article and that discussion. So I think this is exactly what we were hoping with you being on um, to have the the other the the other side to SEO and that off page um, those off page techniques that are vital to success alongside the on page work. Um, and as a convenient segue into the <laughs> final thing that I want to ask you about, if people are interested in digital PR and uh, the off-page uh, off techniques, uh, there is something that is coming soon from Impression that you're involved in. Uh, would you be able to give people a bit of an update on that? Absolutely. So um, we actually started our own podcast in the digital PR team um, called Outspeech. Um, so we have, I think, maybe three or four episodes in the bank already, which you can find on the Impression website, um, and we'll be able to share a link to that. But yes. moving forward, um, I'm going to be picking up the hosting of that podcast. So I'll be looking for anyone who's passionate and excited and wants to share their thoughts and opinions um, on the whole world of digital PR to come and join me and talk me through how, how they do things and talk about stuff like the top news that we've seen in the world of digital PR and any opinions, any campaigns that we want, want to celebrate. So, yeah, if anyone would like to be involved in Outspeech, the digital PR podcast, drop me an email, laura at impression.co.uk, and it would be great to have you involved. Excellent. And that's going to be, is it this year you're hoping to start releasing episodes again? Yep, absolutely. So um, looking to get a bit of a schedule in place um, so that we can record our first episode if not within October, then certainly within the earlier part of November. So look out for the um, the first of the the new version of Outspeech to be released by the end of November, and then we'll be looking hopefully at doing one a month. The yep. the aspiration for us is to give everybody um, the opportunity to talk about link building and to kind of there are certain certain kind of um, Twitter accounts or brands or whatever who are very, very vocal and we hear a lot from, but this is really about trying to speak to people who are not usually given that platform and yeah, yeah just yeah, diversify our thinking about digital PR really. Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that coming again. And I know when Rank Up was originally launched, it was, we were actually behind Outspeech. You, you Outspeech launched first and we sort of were the second podcast to take up the mantle and um, we had kind of a more, I guess, more regular schedule of different podcasts coming from Impression because we were alternating between Outspeech and Rank Up. And it'll be nice to kind of fill out the monthly calendar a bit more as well and, and make sure that sure. Um, people always have access to, to the kind of the, these conversations and these insights um, across the, the breadth of digital marketing, not just on page SEO. So uh, really sure. looking forward to seeing them appearing in our podcast feeds in the near future. And uh, I think that will do it for this episode. Um, Laura, thank you very, very much for coming on um, and for sharing uh, these articles and discussing these topics with us today. Uh, it has been great to have you. Uh, has it been everything you hoped it would be? Oh, Ben, it's been spectacular. <laughs> I feel like I'm such a fangirl for this podcast. So it's, it's kind of like you guys are celebrities to me now. I love it. You're like you're like <laughs> our first loyal supporter, which is, I really you know, am. We need yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> um, and it's also nice to have you know someone on who knows the format as well, because I didn't have to explain the whole episode format to you before we did it, which is great. Do you know what? I'm just I'm glad I'm not doing the interview version of this podcast because I've heard that, and I know that you guys ask some really tricky questions, and um, <laughs> there's a particular game that you play on the interview version that I was not looking forward to. So uh, well, yeah, glad that I avoided that one. Don't speak too soon because uh. I told you we, we want you on for that and uh, we want to give you a chance to talk more about uh, topics that you're really passionate as well, not just the kind of latest hot button <laughs> articles that we talk about in this one. So we will get you back um, and we're looking forward to that. But in the meantime, as we've just said, uh, if people want to hear more from you, the Outspeech podcast will be around uh, potentially not long after this episode is released because this will uh, air at some point, probably in early November. 
Wonderful. Um, so hopefully within a few weeks, uh, the first out speech will be released, which will be very exciting. Um, right. And also exciting for the Rank Up podcast is uh, our next episode uh, will be with uh, JC Connington from Cancer Research UK talking about SEO strategies uh, during and after the COVID pandemic. Um, which, as unfortunately, we're all still very much in the midst of and is likely to be affecting uh, our strategies and our work for the foreseeable future. Uh, so we're very excited to talk to JC and hear his perspective from uh, a sector in the uh, the not-for-profit sector that we have not featured on Rank Up at all. Uh, so that's going to be really nice to hear from him next time. Uh, and also tomorrow, as with me recording this podcast, I'm going to be appearing on Tea Time SEO with Authoritas, um, which will be, uh, by the time this goes live, that will be accessible on YouTube if you search for Authoritas Tea Time SEO. Uh, quite a few of us from Impression have appeared on that um, with, I think, one per week this month in October, which has been great. So there's plenty of great topics there, all sorts of experts from inside and adjacent to the SEO industry. Uh, so I very much recommend checking out their YouTube channel. Uh, and then that will do it. Uh, Laura, can people find you on Twitter or anywhere else if they want to get in touch with you after hearing this? Absolutely. So you can uh, email me if you need any help with anything or if you want to come on to Outspeech. It's just laura at impression.co.uk. I'm on Twitter at Laura L. Hampton. And also on Twitter, I have a Twitter list of digital PR people. So if you are interested in learning more about digital PR, that list includes awesome people from around our industry um, and obviously every member of the Impression digital PR team as well. So check that out. Excellent. Thank you very much. And uh, Ed and I are also on Twitter at Ben J. Gary with two R's and at Ed JTW with two D's. I wonder if I'll ever be able to get to a point where I can say those without specifying the R's and the D's, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> um, awkwardly spelt names. Um, and if you cannot wait for your next helping of digital marketing content, as I've said, there's loads of great stuff going on at the moment. The Impression blog has everything that we're involved in, including these podcasts, including Outspeech when that's released. Uh, so do go and check out impression.co.uk slash blog to see everything. Uh, and as always, we recommend checking out womenintechseo.com slash speakers to find more people who are active in the world of uh, SEO and digital marketing and uh, producing great content and available for speaking opportunities. So please do go and have a look there. Uh, and that really is the end of this episode. So Laura, thank you again for coming on this week. We will have you back in the future. You can't get out of it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and uh, we will see you uh, in a couple of weeks when we're back with JC Connington for our next installment of On Page Conversation. Thank you very much. Bye.